just a moment, Deuteronomy chapter 17, we'll be studying there. And it is great to see everybody here this morning. I know we have visitors among us. May God bless you. We will conclude at 940, take about a 10-minute break, and then we'll begin Bible classes for all ages, the Gospel of Mark here in the auditorium, and one another passages in classroom number one. That's the second adult class, and then classes for all ages uh, in the back. When you look at Deuteronomy chapter 17, we find divine instructions that were given to the new generation before they began to take the promised land. The Israelites, they were to listen very carefully to the instructions that God had given them. I want to begin our study this morning, beginning in verse number 14 in Deuteronomy chapter 17. And I want you to notice the instructions that were given for the ones that would become king and also for the people as a whole. In Deuteronomy 17 and verse 14, the Bible says, When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me. And God knew what was going to happen, and that's exactly what would take place in 1 Samuel chapter 8. The people are going to ask for a king, and so he's going to give them instructions here. He said in verse 15, you shall surely set a king over you, whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your countrymen. It would have to be a man among their own brethren. You shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countrymen. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. The idea of multiplying horses seems to be pointing to the idea that they needed to trust in God, that they were not to rely on certain things or even go back to the nation of Egypt. And so it would say in verse 17, he shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. So again, another instruction about what they were not to do. They were not to have multiple wives. Why? Because there was a danger. They would turn their hearts away from God. They were not to trust in uh, their riches as well. And then in verse number 18, now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. And so the king was to make his own copy of the law of the Lord. And it's a really powerful thought when you think about the time that that would take, and he was going to be under the guidance of the Levitical priest. Then in verse 19, he says, And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. So we find out why they were to do this, why they were to have their own copy of of God's word, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. There were great blessings if God's people, if their leaders, the kings, would listen and trust in what it was that God wanted them to do. These instructions and others were given, and they were to be observed. They were to be carefully observed, and the God's people would benefit when they did uh, listen to the commandments of God. God's people would ultimately have to trust in him. We start talking about the idea of trust. It can be really easy to say, I trust in God. 
but sometimes that can actually be really difficult as well. It can be really difficult to follow through with this idea. And for the Israelites, their strength and their deliverance was not going to be based upon their horses or their riches or their own wisdom, but ultimately upon God. Well, how did the Israelites fare? We're going to take a look at that in just a moment here. Did they follow through with what it was that God wanted them to do? Now, I bring all this up because, as you know, with the slide behind me, we are wrapping up our series, Christians in the Election Year. And we have covered a lot of territory, and I thought it would be good to end on this note this morning. In every age, God has asked his people to trust in him. It's always been about trusting in him. The question becomes, will we ultimately trust in God? Now, we know that Super Tuesday is only a few days away, and Super Tuesday is the election day early in a U.S. presidential primary season when the greatest number of U.S. states hold primary elections and caucuses, and there are many delegates to, to be taken this coming Tuesday. And I want you just to ponder something for just a moment. There are going to be a lot of people who are going to go out to vote. I'm sure many of us are going to go out and vote as well. If you recall my last lesson, my last sermon was called The Big Question, How Should Christians Vote? And we talked a little bit about questions and parameters that should guide us or at least help us and and how we need to vote uh, based upon our conscience. But I want you to consider this. What happens? What happens when Christians go out to vote? When they vote their conscience and their politician or their party doesn't win? People have a lot of great expectations. What happens if the person that you want uh, to be leading in whatever particular area does not win? How do we respond then? Well, whether a person wins or loses, we always are going to have to trust in God. In God we trust. That's, one of, that's what's on our currency. In God we trust. And that's the title of my lesson. Now, if you look at my title, there's a question mark. In God we trust? Now, we should trust in God, but the question becomes, do we really trust in God? It can be so easy to trust in people. It can be so easy to trust in money and power, and I think the Israelites are a great example for us with respect to the warning that we have, that our trust is not to be in anyone else, only in God. And so this morning, I want to talk about a couple of thoughts from the nation of Israel. I want to look at God's people then in the Old Testament, and I want to revisit and see what we might be able to learn from them as we navigate through this year, and not just this year, but Each and every year, every year, it doesn't matter if there's a political season going on or not, but I want us to see what might we be able to consider and take away. I want to begin with this. I want to begin first by talking about the issue of trust. And I mentioned this earlier, that in every age, God has always wanted his people to trust in him. This began in the very beginning. We've been going through this in our Genesis study in Genesis chapter 2. Remember in Genesis chapter 2, God in verse 17 and verse 16 and 17 gave instructions to the first man, Adam, about what he was to do and what he was not to do and the consequence if he did not listen to God. And Adam and his wife Eve, they were ultimately to, to trust what God said. He had given them everything. He had put them in a paradise, and now they needed to believe in him. But we know the rest of the story. We know that they, that they didn't. And the result was that judgment came upon them. 
What about the case in Genesis chapter 4? We studied that this past Wednesday. Remember the story with Cain in Genesis chapter 4 where God spoke to him in verse 7. Cain's angry because his sacrifice was not accepted or was not regarded by God. In verse 7, God said to him, If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And his desire is for you, but you must master it. God told him what he needed to do and how things could be well. But Cain did not trust. He did not listen to what God said. And we see the rest of the story. Cain was cursed. He would become a wanderer the rest of his days. What about in Genesis chapter 6? Lord willing, we'll be in that this Wednesday in our Bible class. We find another man who was given instructions by God. This man was righteous in the sight of God, Noah. And what we find here is that Noah, he he did listen to God. He did trust in God. In verse number 8, it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In verse number 9, he was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. In verse 14, God's going to give him instructions. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. Well, Noah did. He trusted in God. He listened to what God said and what was the result? Salvation. And so you can see from the very beginning, when it comes to God and his people, it has always been an issue of trust. This goes throughout the entire book of Genesis. One of the things that is so fascinating is that over and over again, one of the big themes in Genesis is that God is always faithful. He is always faithful. He never lies He never makes any mistakes. What we find, on the other hand, we find a lot of men and women who are lying and being deceptive and are not trustworthy and faithful. That's never the case with God. Everything he said is true. And as he talked to his people, they were to trust in what he had to say. Men often doubt, but God is always true. And we need to make sure that we trust in him. Because when we don't listen to what God wants... When we don't listen and truly trust in him, bad things happen. And I started off in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Let's take a look now at the rest of the story because the Israelites had not yet entered into the promised land. They're going to enter into the promised land in Joshua chapter 1 or beginning in Joshua. And so these instructions are given to them about how they are to respond and how they are to live and how they are to view God. So how did the kings fare? How did the people listen? Did they truly listen, and listen to God? Some, sometimes they did, but many times they did not. You know, you can just go through the Old Testament and you can pick up a, a lot of things of how they often listened, but many times they just did not listen. Turn over now. Let's actually read 1 Samuel chapter 8. Remember what God said in, in Deuteronomy chapter 17. God had been, their, had been their leader, their God, their king, and now... As in the process of time, the people want to be like everyone else. Now they want a king like all the other nations. And when you read 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse number 4, beginning in verse 4, the elders of Israel, they gathered together, and now they're going to talk to the prophet. And they said to him in verse 5, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. Now they want to be like everybody else. Well, they're going to get what they want, but they're going to lose what they had. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not, listen to this, they have not rejected you. 
but they have rejected me from being king over them. Now, God had had provided for them, and and they're going to get what they want. The rest of the chapter is about instructions that Samuel is to give to them. And you look at the latter part of the chapter. The people, he lays out what's going to happen as they begin to have kings. And yet, that's exactly what they did, and that's what they wanted. I just think this is interesting because isn't that what God said back in Deuteronomy 17? He knew that this was going to happen. And what do we see? His word is true. He knew that this was going to happen. He knew how the people were going to respond. There are some positive though, positives when you look at some of the examples in the Old Testament. Remember in Psalm 119, look over in Psalm 119 and verse number 11. Many times God's people did respond the proper way. I think about King David in Psalm 119. This is a popular passage and really the entire chapter is very long, but it really emphasizes the importance of God's word. And what we find in Psalm 119 in verse number 9, let's pick it up there. The psalmist said, how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. I always think about David and so many of the Psalms that he wrote. And no doubt David would have followed through with what God said back in Deuteronomy chapter 17, making a copy of God's word and hiding it in his heart. That's how you're going to hide the word of God in your heart. You're going to have to be in the word of God. You're going to have to know the word of God. And so we do find kings like, like David following through with some of those instructions that were given back in Deuteronomy chapter 17. And not just him, his son. You think about King Solomon. King Solomon is an interesting case study as well. When you think about the rest of the story and how the, the kings fared and whether or not they truly trusted in God, what's fascinating here in First Kings chapter 3, we find God is going to speak to Solomon in a dream. Solomon understands that there are some things that he is lacking, that he needs some assistance. And unlike many other people, if God asked this question to many other people, what is it that you request? Many other people would say a lot of different things, like riches or a long life or honor. But Solomon doesn't ask, any, uh, doesn't ask for any of those. Rather, he asks God for, for wisdom and so to, to lead his people. And so as a result of that, in verse number 10, it says, It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and I have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I've done according to your words. Behold, I've given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. Solomon's going to get to do things that his father was not able to do, like build the temple for God. And yet it's a sad commentary because the warning back in Deuteronomy chapter 17 about multiplying wives, Solomon does exactly that. And what's the result? God said, and this is why they needed to trust in him and his word, if you go down this path, they will turn your heart away from me. Well, that's what we find in 1 Kings chapter 11. In 1 Kings chapter 11, Solomon, verse number 1, now Solomon loved many foreign women. You get to see all the different nations. He loved many foreign women. In verse number 2, it says, From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, 
You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you. That goes back to to Deuteronomy chapter 7. For they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. You see, God had laid all this out back in Deuteronomy 17. This was always an issue of trust. And while Solomon did great things for the name of God, he did not fully trust in him and listen to what God had to say in his word. There's another example that I think is really fascinating in Joshua chapter 11. As the people are taking the land, the promised land in Joshua chapter 11, there are great battles to read about in this book here in Joshua chapter 11. And we see that Joshua is certainly a man after God's own heart. There's some fascinating stories like in Joshua chapter 10 where the sun stood still for a day, the sun and the moon, and the stories where Joshua and the Israelites took cities like Jericho. We find another story in Joshua chapter 11, and I think this connects back to, uh, back to, uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 17 about this idea of, of ultimately putting their trust in God. So there are a group of, of other kings in the nation or in that area there that are now ready to fight against God's people. And verse number four, it says that they came out, they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore with very many horses and chariots. So all these kings, having agreed to meet, came and encamped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. Now listen to the instruction that God gave him. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. Why do that? Don't you think they would be a little bit useful? Well, it sounds like an issue of trust, doesn't it? You're not going to rely on those, what they have. You're going to rely on me. And so Joshua, he went out in verse number 7, and, and he did what God said. God was with them, and, and they destroyed those enemies. In verse number 9, Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. You see, Joshua knew where his strength came from. He knew where his victory and the Israelites' victory came from. It came from God. And not in chariots and not in horses. And so I think that's a great example that goes back to Deuteronomy 17 and verse 16. uh, About not ultimately trusting in these things, but trusting in God. And Jeremiah, I'm sorry, Joshua had that kind of trust. I, I said Jeremiah by accident because that's the next passage that I want you to look at. Look over in Jeremiah chapter 42. And I'm showing you all these examples here because when you consider the Israelites... Uh, you know, just looking at how they responded to God. That's really what I want us to see here, that there are plenty of times where, where God would speak to them. And God had always been faithful in everything that he had said prior. There was no reason for them ever to doubt in him. They needed to fully trust in him. And when they did, great things would happen. And when they did not, consequences would come. And so we pick up the story in Joshua chapter, or I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 42. Now I'm back in Joshua. Jeremiah chapter 42 and verse number 1. And we find some of the Israelites, some of the commanders of the forces coming to Jeremiah. Remember some of the things that Jeremiah had already prophesied about them being 70 years in Babylon and how everything that Jeremiah had said, it had come to pass. And so now they go to Jeremiah because they're seeking a word from God. They want to hear from God. Because they're trying to figure out there's some danger there. They're trying to figure out how do we respond, what do we do. And so in verse number 2, they said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please 
Let our petition come before you and pray for us to the Lord your God. That sounds really good. That, that, is, all for, that is for all this remnant. Because we are left but a few out of many. As your own eyes now see us, that the Lord your God may tell us the way in which we should walk and the thing that we should do. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I'm going to pray to the Lord your God in accordance with your words. Fine. This is what you want me to ask. This is what I'm going to ask him. And I will tell you the whole message, which the Lord will answer you. I will not keep back a word from you. Jeremiah was a weeping prophet because he would often get in trouble, or not because his words were wrong, because his words were right. But he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share everything that God says to you. Then they said to Jeremiah, may the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance with the whole message with which the Lord your God will send you to us. Remember that passage right there. They said, whether it is pleasant or unpleasant, we will listen to the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you so that so that it may go well with us when we listen to the voice of the Lord our God. See how many times they're saying we're going to listen to the voice of our God? Now, at the end of 10 days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I was talking to Nikki about that. 10 days. Isn't that interesting that it took 10 days for a response to Jeremiah? You know, God could have done it immediately, but for some reason there's a gap. There's 10 days, and I don't know. Maybe there, maybe there was something there with them having to wait upon him and to make sure that they were truly going to do what they said they were going to do. But nonetheless, at the end of 10 days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So what does Jeremiah say? Well, Jeremiah gives the people and these commanders of the forces and all the other individuals, he gives them some instructions beginning in verse number nine. And what he basically, what he tells them is that, listen, you just need to stay where you are. You need to stay in the land. He said in verse 10, if you will indeed stay in this land, then I will build you up. This is God speaking and not tear you down and I will plant you and not uproot you for I will relent concerning the calamity that I have inflicted on you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you are now fearing. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. Now look at verse 13. But if you are going to say, we will not stay in this land, so as not to listen to the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt, where we will not see war or hear the sound of a trumpet or hunger for bread, and we will stay there, then in that case... Listen to, the Lord, uh, listen to the word of the Lord. And so he gives them instructions. Listen, God says this, you stay right where you are. You stay in the land. But if you decide to, to try to make it to Egypt, here's what's going to happen if you go to Egypt. Destruction, all right? Punishment. And so God's word is very clear. Stay in the land. Look at verse 19. The Lord has spoken to you, O remnant of Judah, Do not go into Egypt. Now look at chapter 43. Do not go into Egypt. You see that? Look at chapter 43. But as soon as Jeremiah, whom the Lord their God had sent, had finished telling all the people all the words of the Lord their God, that is all these words. Now we find men in verse number 2 who are are arrogant, and they said, you are telling a lie. Well, what happened to listening to God just 10 days ago? We're going to listen to whatever you tell us. Now look at verse number 7. So Jeremiah told them, based upon God's word, you stay right where you are. Trust in God. He will see you through. In verse number 7, what's it say? And they entered the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord. You see how clear that is? They were to do one thing, and they did the very, the very opposite. 
They were to trust in God. And as a result of not trusting in God, they would reap what they would they would reap what they sowed. They would be destroyed. They didn't trust in God. They saw with their physical eyes instead of seeing things through the eyes of faith. Now I'm showing you all these examples in here because in every instance, God's word was true. God is always true. God is always faithful. In every age, he's always trustworthy and reliable. It has always been an issue of trust. So why am I saying all this and where are we going next? Well, let's just kind of talk about where we are today. What are some take-home thoughts that we can consider as we navigate our way through the election year? So as we approach Super Tuesday and the November election, the big point I want us to all get across, or I want to get across to you this morning, is we need to trust in God. I know we've said that before, but we truly need to believe this, that we need to trust in God no matter what. As we consider the upcoming elections, I want to be clear here that I'm not saying that these sermons, or what I'm saying now, you know, should cause us to have the, the disposition that we shouldn't care, that we should just kind of bury our head in the sand and not really be concerned about what's taking place in this country. That's not what I'm saying at all. I think we should be aware of what's taking place around us, don't you? We should be aware of what's taking place around us locally and, and, and nationally. We should be wise and not naive with, with the things that are taking place. We should utilize the opportunities that we do have to change or to help change to come that we believe is good. And as we think about all of the lessons that I've shared and the studies that we've had as well, we should do the things that are legal and godly to protect our families and to continue to spread the gospel. So I'm not saying that we just kind of ignore everything and we don't do anything and we just kind of close our hands up. No. The, the opportunities that we have available to us, if we so choose to, let's, let's capitalize upon them. And so we don't live in denial, but what we do, we live with a sense of confidence, a, a sense of assurance in God and his son, Jesus Christ. That's what I'm really trying to get at. That's what I want us to consider, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, our trust is not in any party. Our trust is not in any party. Politicians and parties, they flip-flop all the time with their views and even with their parties. One year, four, four years, and then 20 years, they're, they're all over the place. Our confidence is in the one who is, same, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus Christ. Our, our confidence is not in whoever may be president. And the reason why, because after four or eight years, they will cease to be president. Another person will then become president after that. Rather, our confidence is in the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, God. That's where our confidence is from, not in any man or woman. And our confidence is not even in the nine Supreme Court justices. They will eventually all return to the dust. No, our confidence is in the one who created man from the dust. That's who we ultimately trust. And this must be true of every Christian everywhere. It's not just in America. This needs to be the, the mindset of every Christian, whether they're in Zimbabwe or Botswana or South Africa, wherever they may be. Our trust must be in God. We turn over to the New Testament in 1 Timothy chapter 6. God recognized the danger at times of his people trusting in everything and everyone else but him. And the saints in the first century needed to be reminded of a couple of things, so do we. First Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse number 17. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 17, Paul gave a warning. He gave a warning to those who were rich in verse 17. He said, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. You see that? You don't fix your hope in riches. We don't fix our hope in riches. Things can change in a day or a week, but we fix our hope on God. He is certain. He is faithful. He is reliable. Money is not. Who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. You see the focus? The focus, and there's nothing wrong having money, but the focus ultimately is upon God. Because things like that come and go. Jesus gave a warning to some other individuals in Luke chapter 12. Will you turn over there? In Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, we are given a warning here again in Luke chapter 12 and verse number 15. In verse number 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you. Then he said to them, Beware. Warning number one, and be on your guard. Warning number two, against every form of greed. Some translations say covetousness. For not even when one has had an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Beware of every form of greed or covetousness. And I often think that many politics or politicians and, and people who are in politics at times uh, you know, can be driven by covetousness, can be driven by more money or more power, more stuff, and even more debt. Trusting in politicians, my friends, that is where our trust ultimately is. That is a recipe for disaster. And we must make sure that we are not being carried away by covetousness as well and make sure that we don't lose sight of who really matters and what really matters. The title of my lesson is called, In God We Trust. Do we truly trust in him? Listen, we live in a great nation. And when I say a great nation, I know that it's not a perfect nation. It's not a perfect nation. There are many flaws, many things that we can strive to improve upon. But there are many blessings being able to live here in the United States of America. And as we think about this nation and the direction it's headed, we will have to trust in God. I want you to think about something else. All nations prior to America once stood strong. But in the process of time, they vanished away. And someday that will happen to America, hopefully not for a really long time. And so our trust is not in where we live or who may be ruling. Our trust is always in God. It is not in man. Our trust is not in a party. Our trust is not in our guns. Our trust is not in our wisdom. Our trust is not in our wealth. It is not even in our health. Our trust is only in God. In God we trust. I had a question mark. I had a question mark at the beginning of my lesson. But brothers and sisters, let's make sure it is never a question of who it is that we trust. God is always faithful. He is always reliable. Let us be sure that we trust in him. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we are thankful that we can always trust in you. We are thankful, Father, that we can know that you will always be with us, that you see all things that take place in this country, not just in this country, but in the entire world. 
You rule. You know all the things that take place. Help us to find comfort in that. Help us to be able to live a quiet and peaceable life. Help us to be able to spread the gospel and to share your good news to others. Be with our leaders at this time. You tell us to pray for them, and so we pray for them according to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We pray, Father, that they will have the wisdom as we live in this nation here to lead us in the right direction. Continue, Father, to be with us and help us to walk with you every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.